Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. The energy is great here today, and we hope you are feeling a wonderful energy in your neck of the woods as well. Part of our great energy, as always, is due to the hard work and uh, unrelenting coolness of our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. They call me Ben. (laughs) Noel, we were talking off air. We were talking off air a little bit about uh, martial arts, you, me, and Max. And uh, you said that while you have not uh, tried jujitsu as of yet, you were, for a time, a karate kid. Well, you know, I did study the ancient art of karate briefly. Uh, I believe I made it so far as the brown belt. Is it no brown belts first? No, you white belt. White belt? No. Yellow belt? How, what, what order to see? Obviously, I, I don't know what I'm talking start about. Start off with a white belt, I think. I know that you start out with a white belt, but then I think it's brown belt. I think it's brown belt and then maybe yellow belt. I think purple is like, what's second to last or something? Yeah, purple's definitely up there. Okay, yeah. okay. I was right. Uh, it's white, orange. yellow, orange. Okay, I was not, did not get brown. Brown is before black. Brown is a oh, big okay. deal. Yeah, yeah, yellow, orange, blue, purple. Purple with a stripe. Green, mm. green with a stripe, red, red with a stripe, brown, brown with a stripe, and black. Um, yeah, pretty sure I only made it so far as yellow. And your mileage may vary, uh, you know, oh, depending on, on who you study with. And Max, you were telling us that while you yourself are not a practitioner of jujitsu, you had some close friends who were super into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, my dad was really into, I believe, Taekwondo, and he oh, was yeah, like yeah, a brown yeah, yeah. belt in that in his younger days. But, uh, I had two roommates at a time and one of them wanted to become a um, MMA guy. So he studied a lot of jujitsu and stuff. And the other guy, he, uh, he studied the one that's like basically like 
dancing. I want to say it's capybara, but I know that's a marsupial. Yeah, capybara is an adorable marsupial. Uh, yeah, I was talking with you guys a minute ago about the episode of Bob's Burgers where Tina takes capoeira from Jaro, who has a luxurious ponytail, which he uses as a weapon while saying ponytail, ponytail, ponytail. Jiu-Jitsu is interesting, though. I mean, I think this, there's probably elements of this in a lot of martial arts, but, you know, the idea is to sort of weaponize your opponent's momentum. So it's it's a, it's a great self-defense, you know, technique for people that maybe aren't, like, the MMA type, you know, or, like, bruisers, and you can easily kind of misdirect or redirect the energy of your attacker and use it against them. So it's all about mm-hmm. kind of movement and certain, you know, tricks that kind of will uh, harness that momentum uh, and actually use it to disable your opponent yeah. than like actually, you know, besting them in hand-to-hand combat per se. Oh, it's so cool too, because the translation, if you look at what it means in English, is beautiful. So this is a Japanese martial art upon which a lot of other martial arts and combat sports have been informed. You can find elements of jujitsu and so many other things. If you look at the translation, uh, ju, J-U, means gentle, soft, supple, flexible, or yielding. And jutsu can be kind of translated as like technique or art. So jujitsu then roughly means the yielding art. And it's exactly Mm -hmm. as you described, Noel, redirection of someone else's energy. So you might ask, if you read the title of today's episode, you might ask, what on earth does the push for voting rights have to do with jujitsu? Well, this is in part of an incredibly inspiring story. Let's travel back to Britain for you know much of its history. Uh, Britain, like many other places in the world, only allowed certain demographics of people to vote. And they did not believe that women or female identifying individuals should be allowed to vote. So they took to the streets and they were called suffragettes, individual women fighting for voting rights for women. And if you look at, there's a great all that's interesting article that we wanted to start off with here uh, that describes the suffragettes thusly. It says a lot of these British suffragettes were smaller, older women. They were, you know, wearing long dresses, big flower-covered hats, because we know hats have to be fancy at this time. And uh, they meant to look like uh, proper, somewhat posh, established women. Um, But they were also, you know, they were civil activists. This is the early 1900s. They didn't want to make a violent movement, but they were confronted by, at times, brutal police forces, and law enforcement. So what can they do to protect themselves against these people who are, you know, professionally trained to uh, win fights? You know what I mean? Yeah, and, it, and it's not like history is like done away with police brutality or, no. you know, kind of redirecting the narrative when it comes to dealing with protesters, you know, or, or like recasting them as like, terrorists or, you know, agitators or what have you. We've certainly seen a lot of that recently. And you do have to protect yourself from the the police, unfortunately. Uh, and this was no exception. Oftentimes, suffragettes were arrested, beaten, you know, manhandled literally by brutish, you know, men, groped. And actually, there were a few situations where during hunger strikes, uh, they were like forcibly fed through rubber tubes, which is just about the most invasive, awful thing I can imagine. Um, Black Friday 
It was a very, very um, dark day for the uh, suffragette movement. Uh, November 8th, 1910, two marchers were actually killed by police. And this led to basically what we've been describing leading up to a need to have a way of defending yourself while also protecting yourself from prosecution by, let's say, handling illegal weapons. You know, for example, I believe, you know, Britain has always largely been a gun free society. Even the police just use like clubs and truncheons or whatever to beat people up. But at the very least, you don't see a lot of police shootings. But that doesn't mean you can't kill somebody by beating them too hard, because uh, that's what we saw with those deaths on Black Friday. Enter a very important figure in the suffragette movement, a slight middle-aged woman, uh, kind of perfectly fit the bill of that uh, classic suffragette kind of look, a woman named Edith Margaret Giroud, who is described in that All Things Interesting article as being tiny yet tenacious. Uh, and she was the person who brought jujitsu to the women of the suffrage movement. Yes, yes, she is the protagonist of our story today. Edith was born in Bath, Somerset in 1872, and she didn't have an easy start at life, quite candidly. Her parents were unmarried, and that was a big, big no-no at the time in that society. So she was sent away to live with her aunt. Uh, she didn't really fit in with any cliques at school and didn't feel like she belonged. So she found refuge in the world of athletics and pursued that as a hobby. Fast forward to 1893. She becomes a, she has become rather a teacher at a school where she helps the kids learn physical education. And she meets this guy named William. She marries William. And then in 1899, the Garad couple sees a demonstration by this guy named Edward Barton Wright. Now, usually when we hear the word demonstration here in modern day society, we think of something like a protest. There was a demonstration for or against a given social issue. But back in the day, in this period of time, a demonstration would be much more like a show, like come see this amazing, you know, like toe like an act, like an expo. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. And this guy, this guy went on stage, Edward Barton Wright, and he said, "I have developed my own proprietary style of grappling and then striking. I call it in a burst of humility, grapple strike." <laughs> well, he called it Bartitsu because uh, he's Barton Wright. Yeah. And okay. uh, this, uh, I'll take it. Yeah. Grapple strikes uh, a strong second, though, I would argue. Well, yeah, I would say I would say, honestly, it's always questionable when somebody names something after themselves. So <laughs> anyway, people were into this idea. They watched these demonstrations. Folks knew about Edward Barton Wright and his style became so well known that Sherlock Holmes actually mentions it in a 1903 story by Arthur Conan Doyle. So it was in the zeitgeist, you could say. Mm -hmm. It's kind of funny, though, if you think about it. I mean, this dude, like you said, naming something after yourself is usually a good sign of some mild form of megalomania. But it's also like, you know, this was a form of jujitsu that he was demonstrating, and he basically culturally appropriated it and named it after himself. <laughs> yes, yeah. And... 
The Garrods, we know from this point, were very interested in this concept. Uh, one of the most poetic and beautiful things about martial arts is the idea that we described earlier, which is uh, there's a hip hop song that puts it perfectly by Dead Prez. It's the idea that a poor man's empty hand is a weapon. And the sure. Garrods were fascinated. They went on to study with a Japanese jiu-jitsu instructor who knew Barton Wright. His name, Sadakozu Uyenishi. And when Uyenishi left in 1908, they actually took over his dojo. Uh, Edith would teach the women and children's classes. And one of the things that she always emphasized to these populations or to her students was, hey, look, you don't have to be bigger than your foe or your opponent. As a matter of fact, you can use the leverage of jujitsu to overpower them. And people found this tremendously inspiring. I want to shout out Jake Rawson, wrote an excellent yep. Mental Floss article on this. Great title, too. The female jujitsu crew that defended women's rights. I say that in like, you know kung fu movie dub voice uh, oh there it is yeah um, yeah this is th- this is great though i mean like you know remember the children's classes i mean this was dangerous time you know you like you know there were pickpockets and thieves and you know rippers around every corner you know and you had to be able to defend yourself against all those rippers um you know and if you're a kid the best way to be able to do that kid or a small Smallish person, you know, uh, or or someone that's not maybe as powerful. Jujitsu is perfect. It really does, you know, kind of use your opponent's weaknesses against them. So you know, the Giroud's obviously like were they wanted to go deep with this. Obviously, Barton Wright was their kind of inroad into the deeper study of of true Japanese jujitsu. Um, but they want they uh, was it Baritsu wasn't enough for them. They wanted to go all the way. So, like you said, they actually took over that jujitsu dojo uh, from Iunishi there in Golden Square in London, and they made a a big go of it, and, and it was very successful. So, Garrett achieved some further notoriety um, when she released a short film. Uh, in 1907, which would have been, you know, no no small feat. Uh, it was not exactly the most democratized technology at the time. It would have been something you would have had to pay a pretty penny to do. And, you know, it made the rounds and it was a film uh, as opposed to like, you know, one of those expos we talked about. It was a film obviously able to be much more widely distributed that uh, showed off her technique, you know, and how she could take down a much larger opponent. And a very important figurehead and leader of the women's suffrage movement Emmeline Pankhurst invited her to appear at the Women's Social and Political Union meeting in 1909. And she made a real impact on the suffragettes. They were just so impressed with her poise and her passion about this technique, and they wanted to be a part of it. They asked if she would uh, do regular training sessions for the suffragettes. By December of that year, Jared had a uh, exclusive contract almost essentially with the suffragettes and, and started something called Suffragette Self-Defense Club. And this is exactly what it sounded like. It was just a way of kind of teaching these women to defend themselves using the, uh, the techniques of, uh, of jiu-jitsu. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year 
Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. Cement Mobile for details. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. And this escalated uh, in step with the push against equal voting rights. So Edith started holding self-defense classes for suffragettes, essentially saying, Here's what happens if you have to deal with hecklers at a protest, specifically at a dance school nearby. When those protests at this dance school on Argyll Street began to run into increasingly violent opposition, not just from regular jerk civilian dudes, but from the actual police, she said, okay, self-defense is all well and good, but now I am going to teach you how to fight back. And a lot of this information comes from Jared's great nephew, Martin Williams. Uh, Martin says that Edith would sometimes use the former dojo as a hiding place for her fellow activists. She didn't want people to know Golden Square was a dojo. And she was very, for anybody who's unfamiliar with the uh, layout of the area at the time, this was in the nice part of town. So she was happy that the dojo was in Golden Square because people were less likely to suspect something wasn't on the up and up. In mm -hmm. 2012, Martin tells the Islington Tribune, 
Quote, the suffragettes would create a disturbance in Oxford Street, but then they'd run back to the dojo and hide their clubs and bats under the floor. (laughs) By the time the cops arrived, they'd be pretending they were in the middle of their exercise class. So imagine you're, you know, you're the police force. You're trying to uh, track down some uh, what you're told is like a mob of, you know, whatever silly words. Yeah. And then. No, just just us, officer, just getting in our movements. Now, one and two and one. Doing oh, our calisthenics. Can I, can I help yes. you? We are yes. in the middle of a course. Yeah, this and this worked. <laughs> We're not so used weird. to gentlemen callers in, exactly. our, in our gymnasium. Yes. So by 1910, think about how quickly this is happening. By 1910, she is constantly conducting classes exclusively for the suffragette movement and as publicity as wait for it, a demonstration she yes, yes. had an open call for any curious men to challenge her and all she asked is she said show up anytime you know what i mean get at me all Come i at ask me, bro yeah. yeah all i ask is that you put on a police hat before i wax you in front of my students <laughs> and she <laughs> give did me, just give me give me something to focus my rage towards you know what i yeah. mean yeah, and uh, she even talks about this. Like, she went on to talk about this for many years. In 1965, uh, she relayed this anecdote where a policeman had said, now then, move on, you can't stop causing an obstruction here. And then she said, excuse me, it's you who are making an obstruction. And then she shoulder flipped him. Yeah. Uh, and introduced him to the ground. Yeah, and let's not forget, too, I don't know if we we, we really hit this home, but... They're not like wearing like, you know, geese or something. Like they're wearing their petticoats. And oftentimes they would use those big ruffles and, and those, you know, very wide hoop skirts to hide weapons underneath. Uh, so they could like, you know, again, kind of quickly like stick them down there and make a run for it and, and kind of like, you know, be completely incognito. Uh, really, really cool. Um, I love that. Just, excuse me, sir. It is you who is making an obstruction. Skadoom. Yeah. To the floor. It's like, it's such a badass, like, you know, uh, give me back my son or something. You know what I mean? Like, that's like, that would be the, the, the line from the movie trailer, you know, before the name of the movie. It'd be called Suffragettes. You right. Know? Suffragettes. Yeah. And then maybe we do like, uh, maybe we do that cool late 80s, early 90s thing where you see two different fonts. So it's Suffragettes hits the screen. And then in like cursive or crazy writing, it says Jujitsu. Exactly. I, or, or, yeah. or, or as it was actually coined at the time, I believe it was suffrage jujitsu because it be, yeah, became suffrage suffragist. It became, and I don't know if it was meant to be like, you know what I mean? Like sometimes when the press or whomever coined little phrases like that, they do it with sort of like a eye roll or like a sort of flippant attitude, but it's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, exactly. It'd be, be suffrage and that would be in the like, you know, more like kind of fancy calligraphy font. And then jitsu would be like in like blood red, you know, um, mm-hmm. like Japanese kind of like calligraphy strokes. Love it. Love I it. love it. I love You're it. Welcome We're going to make this movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, totally, so, dude. Yeah. That's, that's not arrogant to say. So, uh, so there's something else that happens that's really important with the role of jujitsu and how the public perceived it in Britain at the time. So as sure. we discussed, it means like the art of yielding, roughly. It's, it's redirecting energy. When it first hit Britain in 1898, people considered it, quote, 
suitable for women because they thought it was somewhat elegant and feminine. It wasn't about overpowering people with force. You read the room of where your opponent's moving, and then you just kind of help them get where they're going. All right, ladies, you can do two things. You can go forage for seaweed at the shore, um, or you can learn the art of yielding. Just don't be playing even yielding. Yeah, because even, I mean, isn't that funny? It required that kind of like, it's such a, a like pernicious thing and in a good way. Like same with the seaweed, you know, it was sort of like seaweed was science that was okay for women too, but it was really, you know, still very interesting work. And it was something that they could really like, you know, chew on in terms of like being creative, in terms of like doing, discovering nature and all that stuff. This is the same. And this is like, you know, you look at it not reading too far into it, you know, as a dumb man and you're like, Oh yeah, it's the art of yielding. Like it's about like, it's graceful movements, you know, it's basically like jazzercise, but it actually is a way to take down a man, you know, uh, to take down a police force. If you have enough women mm-hmm. that are armed with these techniques. Yeah. And uh, Tony Wolf, who is one of the world-class experts on older martial arts had a really interesting meta-analysis of this, he said that the tactics used by the protesters, even when they weren't physically practicing jujitsu, they were still sort of philosophically practicing some of the precepts of that art because they were a radical movement. They were relatively small Mm -hmm. in their numbers. They had to rely on skill, on leverage, and at times on trickery or deception. Uh, They wouldn't have expected that women could respond physically to violent action, let alone put up an effective resistance. That line is from Martin Dixon, who's chairman of the British Jiu-Jitsu Association. So it was an ideal way for them to handle someone who's grabbing them and expecting them to instantly just freeze up or wilt or comply. Let me introduce you to my good friend, The Floor. I like the point you make about the philosophical aspects of jiu-jitsu. You know, you often hear the term like mental jiu-jitsu thrown around. It's sort of a way of, you know, playing chess with an opponent, you know, of of like kind of outsmarting somebody or using their own ideology uh, against them or using their words against them. This was a war of minds just as much as it was a war of, uh, you know, fists in the streets, I guess, right? So this, you know, tradition really could have added a layer of craftiness, you know, to the types of, you know, plays that these women were making and uh, and could have really helped them in in that aspect of it as well. Mm -hmm. Now, it may sound wild, fellow ridiculous historians, to think that once upon a time, the idea of everybody having the right to vote would seem so controversial that state powers would attempt to violently suppress that concept. And the reason it seems so crazy is because a great many very, very brave, very intelligent, dare I say very noble people fought for this for this human right. And I, you know, I've been in protest in a number of different countries and the ones that are often really successful without turning into riots and so on are ones where the protesters know a couple of things that our suffragettes in today's episode were well aware of. Property damage can get you headlines, right? Property damage gets you into the paper and the conversation, but you need to 
win hearts and minds of the neutral observer, which means you don't want to look like the bad guys. You don't want to look like the baddies, as they would say. Uh, so no, the suffragettes said, okay, we're not going to actually hurt anybody. We're not going to damage a factory or other workplace such that people are going to lose their jobs. Uh, for instance, one time Edith was with a gathering of women there on Oxford Street, and they coordinated this. She blew a whistle, and when she did, everybody pulled hammers and rocks from beneath their clothes, like you mentioned, all oh, those, wow. uh, yeah. those big clothes uh, served a purpose, and then they threw them through shop windows. This was seen as uh, a justified action for protesting, and it wasn't seen as like empty vandalism. Uh, she defended it pretty well, but if you go over to a great article on a website I had just found, I don't know about you guys, but it's called badreputation.org.uk. Mm. Yeah, you, it's it's great. I, I highly check recommend it. Out. I love yeah, that URL. Yeah, yeah. It's um, There was one article there uh, from 2011 by Stephen B., which talks about this protest. You know, we know any uh, any protest is going to be somewhat controversial on some level. That's why it's a protest. People are protesting a thing. But there were other acts too. You know, there was there was a different group that was considered more radical. They set mailboxes on fire. They threw flower bombs at the prime minister. If shopkeepers refused to support suffrage, they would smash windows. And then you didn't see this guy coming in the story, I bet. But here's our unexpected cameo. Mahatma Gandhi shows up, played, of course, by Sir Ben Kingsley in our in our movie. Hearts and minds. Yes. <laughs> for, for all for all time. Uh, I, I gotta, you know, it's, I always, yeah, I, I think you and I both are probably big fans of like classic fighting games, like side-scrolling fighting games, like Street oh, yeah, Fighter yeah, yeah. and Mortal Kombat and all that. Wouldn't it be cool if there was one made up entirely of historical figures uh, and Mahatma yes. Gandhi in particular was like rocking some serious jujitsu? That's perfect. Yeah. There was one game that had deities fighting in a street fighter. I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you off air if, if I can find it. But yeah, Noel, that's a brilliant idea. I am 100% on board. Here's what here's what the real non, non-fighting Gandhi said. Because, you know, Gandhi in a fighting game is interesting because he's really famous for not fighting. Anyway, Gandhi says, look, in 1909, he tells uh, an assembly of British suffragettes, your cause is correct. Your cause is just, but your tactics are unacceptable. And he was very like, I'm not mad. I'm disappointed, kind of tutting and shaking his head. But the police, their response to this was to crack down. And we see this often in response to protest, right? Uh, the struggle becomes increasingly acrimonious in the years leading up to World War I. Women are arrested. When they go on hunger strike, like you said, Noel, uh, they were force fed. And when they're out on marches, they're getting manhandled, they're getting knocked to the ground. And then we get to an event on the 18th of November, 1910, known as Black Friday. Yes, Black Friday, what we alluded to uh, early on in the episode, wherein a group of around 300 suffragettes were um, essentially bum rushed by a phalanx of police officers outside parliament. They were, in fact, uh, entirely outnumbered. 
um, and they were essentially just beaten uh, by the police and uh, and random just dudes. insult to injury. Yeah, random dudes, insult to injury, you know, as if they didn't have it covered with just the bobbies with, you know, bludgeons. They they had these bros coming in to, to swing their clubs and fists as well. Uh, really, really gross. Absolute targeting of a peaceful protest. And, and no wonder they decided they wanted to, to be able to, to, you know, fight back. Some serious injuries. We talked about two deaths, more than 100 arrests. And Elizabeth Crawford, who wrote the Women's Suffrage Movement, a reference guide, had this to say. Uh, a lot said they had been groped by the police and male bystanders. After that, women didn't go to these demonstrations unprepared. So, again, it's not like they just wanted to fight. Like you said from the top end, this was not uh, an inherently violent movement. It was a peaceful protest, um, you know, based movement. It wasn't until they were pushed and pushed and pushed they decided they needed to push back. Um, It's been a while since I've seen it, but if I remember correctly, I believe the mom in Mary Poppins is a suffragist. Yes, yes, And is, is. like, having, like, suffrage, women's suffrage meetings in in their Mm -hmm. home. And uh, mm-hmm. they they all definitely appear in this kind of dress that we're talking about. So um, probably a little bit of an idealized version of this, but it definitely is around the time that we're talking about where Mary Poppins and, you know, cartoon penguins uh, were just all over the place. I, I loved it. For a time, I wanted to be a chimney sweep. And uh, Mary Poppins, as uh, both, a, at least in the film adaptation, makes a great point about uh, the evils of banking. So, <laughs> anyhow, this well, is diff- I, I, yeah. I will say I'm glad that I'm glad that you chose a different course uh, uh, for your for your your life's trajectory, Ben. Because turns out it's not nearly as cheery uh, and and dancey as yeah. uh, as one might think. Check <laughs> out our earlier episode. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah oh, it boy. was often like children too. They right. like suffocated in chimneys when they got right. stuck. Which they, uh, I think, is in the Criterion version of Mary Poppins. Uh, Exactly. Let us know. So uh, this ends up, this tragedy ends up with, as you said, people dead and a lot of people imprisoned. You see Garrett climbing atop the prison walls, trying to boost morale. She's singing. She's waving flags. And when people are freed... They go to her and she teaches them how to do basic throws on uh, aggressive policemen and then also how to avoid bludgeon injuries by wrapping cotton and cardboard around your ribs, sort of a uh, MacGyver kind of armor or body protection. And Love it. Yeah, and the suffragettes appreciate Garrett. They see in Edith a tremendous gift, a secret weapon. You know, and 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 they were very protective of her too. They didn't want to risk her, you know, their secret what secret weapon being arrested or you know separated from them. So oftentimes, you know, she would be back at the dojo, and uh, that would be sort of a home base. And she always was able to kind of like carry out these uh, sort of subterfuges when the cops came looking for the women, you know, mm-hmm. who smashed all the shop windows. They'd come. Running back, and you know she would like stash their street clothes in those secret compartments we talked about earlier. We're they just would do with doing the all movements, officer. We're yes, just, yes, yes. <laughs> and the escalation just continued, though, because uh-huh. it became clear that the suffragette forces knew they had a righteous cause, and they were not going to be intimidated. They were not going to fold, and so authorities kicked things up another terrible notch, and they passed a law. Uh, that was officially known as the Prisoner's Temporary Discharge for Ill Health Act of 1913. Its street name, the Cat and Mouse Act. It was 
part of a, a intense information propaganda war between feminist forces and law enforcement. Uh, you know, I'm going to say team feminist here because they had things that aren't particularly hot takes. They said force feeding us is an act of torture and the yeah. government, uh, the government is responding by uh, releasing protesters who are on hunger strike while imprisoned just long enough for them to get a little bit healthier. And then they track them back down, rearrest them, re-imprison them. So they let you go out to eat and then they arrest you. Catch and release is what they call it. And then catch again. Uh, And it was probably a way to keep eyes on them as well, right? If you release them and then you like surveil them, then you get intel into what's going on with the movement if you play your cards right. Exactly. And we should mention, while we've spent a lot of time focusing on Edith, she's working in concert with the organizer of the United Kingdom suffragette movement, Emmeline Pankhurst. And Mm -hmm. Emmeline Pankhurst is repeatedly captured. She's repeatedly harassed. She's leading a lot of these uh, protests that law enforcement objects to. Eventually, people active in the movement realize that Pankhurst cannot be captured again. She is too important, and law enforcement also knows she's important, so she might spend years just being moved from one jail cell to the next, which is tough for me to say with a Tennessee accent. Jail cell. Okay, got there. Little juror. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's tough. Yeah. Um, This is so neat uh, because they, you know, they take it to the next level. Um, They organize essentially like a group, an elite squad of suffragettes uh, that they refer to as the bodyguard, which I love that. It's like, you know, it's it's not just one bodyguard. They're almost like an army, but they're called the bodyguard, uh, starring Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I want to just jump in here real quick about like a, Pankhurst, uh, it should also be pointed out that she's in her like mid fifties by this point. Oh yeah, exactly. Yes. So they're like, okay, we got to definitely protect her. We don't want her just being, you know, everything that she, she represents so much, you know, like just symbolically, uh, it's important to have her to, to, for the, you know, for the women of the movement to rally behind the media. Once again, <laughs> doing some kind of, tongue-in-cheek, eye-rolly kind of uh, uh, nicknaming referred to them not as the bodyguard, but as the Amazons, which is, you know, a little problematic. Uh, A a bit, yeah, maybe a bit. No, (laughs) it is very much a bit uh, problematic. So their mission, the bodyguard, uh, saw their mission as keeping pain curses, prison breaks as long as possible. These were also people who were in very good shape. They were willing to risk their own freedom and their own personal safety and health. They were almost always single because it was considered unfair for mothers to be thrown in jail. These were not just the most physically active folks. They also had the most advanced knowledge of jujitsu in a network of secret locations. How cool is that? They also came from the ranks of the most radical suffragettes. They used code names. They used like disguises and stuff. They hid uh, bowling pin shaped clubs, flower pots, and other weapons in their dresses. They made that armor uh, I talked about earlier with cod- cardboard and cotton padding. And they were prepared at any time. They were just always on call. And sometimes all they would get is a ring that says, hey, 
there's a car that looks like this. You need to follow it. Get on it. And, you know, they would exactly. put the stuff, they, you know, strap on the cardboard, the cotton, and they're off to the races. Uh, and hopefully one day the aim is to be off to the ballot box as well. So they were fighting again for a good reason. And eventually they became even more organized. They were not backing down in front of the police. Uh, the police were aware of this and they tried to spy on Garrett's jujitsu lessons from the skylights of the dojo. So picture. Creeps. Yeah, I'm <laughs> right, right. The peeping Tom squad. So in our film here, picture, picture some uh, kind of bumbling Keystone cop-esque figures. Just maybe slipping and falling off the skylight Whoa, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, or a Wilhelm scream maybe Max <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly so ah! that was my impression of the Wilhelm scream <laughs> it's a tough one it's tough to do yeah. that one uh, so let's go to February 1914 it's just a month before another big event that we'll get to in a second called the Battle of Glasgow uh, the bodyguard aka the amazons had another tough pickle in front of them pankhurst is delivering a a barnstorming speech off this balcony at someone's house in in camden square uh she is wearing a veil and she has members of the bodyguard at her side on the balcony and the police are down below like because <laughs> they're thinking as soon as she's done, we're going to rearrest her. And then she said, I am coming down and I dare you to stop me. Come at me, bro. Yet again. Uh, but they pulled kind of a, probably one of the only memorable or useful things from uh, The Phantom Menace was the body double for uh, Natalie Portman's character, um, which I believe was, did we talk about this the other day? Was it us? We did. It. Yeah. Kieran uh, Knightley. Kira Knightley, Knightley and yeah, Natalie yeah, yeah, Portman, yeah, yeah. two different yeah. people. You heard two it different people, first. but used to great effect in that body double scenario in uh, in the movie. I like um, Phantom they Menace. Did a, they, I mean, it's, you know. That makes one of us. It's not a good movie. <laughs> That's fine. I, I mean, no, it, 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 nostalgia is a hell of a drug. I will say yeah. that. I remember I mean, I was in like fifth grade when, when it came I was out, a kid. So, yeah, yeah. You can like something and not think it's good. You know, I, mean. I agree. I agree. I think that's what most people say about this podcast. But I mean, Jar Jar Binks is not aged well, to say the least. Let's just say that. Do you hear the, um, the theory that Lucas wanted him to be a Sith Lord? Oh, wait, this doesn't matter. But look it up be on fine. your own. Uh, when you have time. Uh, maybe he'd be a little more reserved as a Sith Lord. I don't think he'd be like There's babbling a- incoherently in a vaguely patois accent. Yeah. Um, anywho. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah they, anyhow, they, they pulled watch a bit the of video a, they on the Jar Jar yeah. Binks thing and let me know. But, okay, but you're it, right about the it. body double. You're right about the body yeah. double. Decoy. They this pulled a they pulled a Phantom Menace. They pulled a, an Amidala switcheroo here, um, and uh, and there was another woman wearing a veil uh, that they sent down instead. Right? Yeah, exactly. Brilliant plan, and it worked. But now we have to go to the Battle of Glasgow. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. 
Visit TomboyX.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So tension has continued and continued and ratcheted up and things are reaching even more of a breaking point. So there's this assembly hall in Glasgow, Scotland, and on March 1914, local police officers swarm the area to arrest Pankhurst. Again, she's one of the loudest voices in this movement, and she had traveled from London to rally support. Again, the stuff she's asking for does not sound like any kind of hot take at all. It sounds like basic human rights for people. She says, you know what? Women should be able to vote. They should be able to get divorced if they want to, and they should be able to inherit land. These are all things that dudes can already do. So why not? She also anticipated a fight. She anticipated the man coming down hard. So she arrived with the bodyguard. The bodyguard at this time is about 25 individuals. They were trained in jujitsu, club fighting, sabotage by Edith. Uh, they weren't preparing for hypothetical threats. You know, as we said, they had been beaten and assaulted by police before. The police already had a grudge with her now uh, by the time she gets to Scotland because she made them look really dumb when the body double thing worked. So she also made them look dumb in Scotland because when she shows up to her own rally, she just buys a ticket and walks in. Do they not know what she looks like? Like, imagine, that's like, that's like Kanye, excuse me, yay, waiting in line for his own concert and just having to pay the 25 bucks or whatever. I don't know how much it It's a thing you run into a lot in like period pieces or like, you know, kind of costume mystery type dramas. There often is like a, a lack of like awareness by the authorities as to what somebody, what somebody looks like. You know what I mean? Like, I think, you know, maybe it was just a matter of like, it was 
I mean, there was photography, of course, but they, it wasn't very sharp, you know, I guess. And it was almost more like an artist's rendering. Um, so it, it does seem like it may have been more common for folks to not know exactly what someone looked like. Yeah, no, that's a very good point, man. And it works to paint her disadvantage at this, uh, at this juncture. So she comes up and they go, oh, oh, my God, who let her in or whatever? And the police are a mob. They outnumber the bodyguards. Like think of, we said 25 bodyguards, think of like 50 plus police officers. But according to this story, Pankhurst gets about 30 words out before someone reacts to the police encroachment. A suffragette takes out a pistol, takes aim and fires. They fire blanks, but it stuns the officer. They didn't know, you know, they like who thought this would turn into a gunfight. Other officers get tossed. Just picture them to and throw. Fa boom, fa boom, fa boom. Welcome to the floor. Welcome to the floor. May I introduce well, not you? Not only, not, not only welcome to the floor. Welcome to these like razor wire filled flower bouquets that were everywhere, and they, they were throwing the cops like straight into those things. So they were getting like all sliced up. Mm. Uh, serious, like you know, they're really taking it to the next level at this point in terms of their planning, in terms of their you know just their 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 willingness to kind of do whatever it took. The suffragettes, I mean, um, mm. like so they had these like you know razor wire lace flower bouquets that they were um, using to their advantage and the cops were completely unaware of. Yeah, now picture this Picture this, this as the climactic scene, right, toward the beginning of the, our third act in our film. There is an all-out brawl. Like, Vince McMahon would be envious of the spectacle that occurs here, and it's very dangerous because it's real. They are taking out these clubs at when we say clubs, they were called Indian clubs at the time. Picture a bowling pin. Uh, back then, they were used a lot in exercise classes, right? And now they become a weapon. So the suffragettes have their bowling pins out. Uh, the police didn't expect to be met with a bunch of martial artists who by this time were quite skilled. So they pull out their clubs, the police pull out their batons and their truncheons, and then they go at it. And also the bodyguard, like you said, Noel, they catch people in barbed wire. Uh, then this brawl happens in front of 4,000 folks before Pankhurst finally gets moved away. Epic. Totally epic. I mean, yeah, nothing quite like it in history, as far as I'm aware, in terms of like this very gendered clash in the streets, you know, with uh, what many in those days might have called the fairer sex getting the upper hand in a very big way. And that was that was one of the climactic battles of the suffrage movement in the United Kingdom. But there was a, another battle. It was bigger than the local police, and it was bigger than the United Kingdom itself, and it was on the horizon. It was the outbreak of what we call World War I today. Back then, of course, they just called it, you know, the Great War or World War. Uh, horrific, horrific thing. The suffragette forces concentrated on helping the war effort. In fact, Emmeline Pankhurst, according again to a, a couple of different citations, she essentially decided that, hey, women's rights aren't going to be of much use to us 
if Germany occupies Great Britain. So we need we need to keep the country we want to vote in free. That was that was her calculus. And then as the world descended into pandemonium and chaos, the bodyguard, whom the press called the Amazons, and Edith Garrett were almost entirely forgotten. Almost, <laughs> but not uh, not entirely. Um, but yeah, I was very, very much uh, unaware of this period, or at least the specifics. And certainly with the badass, uh, you know, hand-to-hand combat angle. I mean, this is really, really fascinating. But uh, of course, as we know, um, there is a happy ending. This is, this is a movement that results in, over time, uh, the goal that they set out to achieve. And uh, at the end of the war in 1918, there was a renewed kind of interest in the suffrage movement. But the attitude had changed to a degree in terms of like the the government's approach to, you know, the suffrage movement. And so there wasn't quite the same need to, you know, be militaristic in the same way uh, as it had been before. Um, and pretty quickly after the war, around 8 million women got the right to vote thanks to an act called the uh, Representation of the People Act. Um, By 1928, everyone else in Britain uh, was also granted the right to vote. I'm not quite sure what the distinction was uh, with the 8 million women uh, that were given the right so quickly and why it took 10 more years. Yeah, let's hear Max with the facts on this one. I was looking on Wikipedia reading it. It was like, in 1928 is when they extended it to all women uh, age 21 or older were able to vote. So it might have been something similar to, like you know, early on in America, like if you owned land, you could vote. Right. So that, that it, it, it might have just been like that. Eight million was just a subsect of yeah. women. It wasn't until 28 that everyone. Yeah, because this right uh, that everyone had. Yeah. For the first 10 years, the People Act required voters female voters specifically to own property, but it did not require men to own property. It gave the right to vote to all men, regardless of race or class. And then it wasn't until the representation of the people act 1928, that property requirements for women were done away with. So that was, that was the big thing. And so we're going to let poor people vote too. Now that we had 10 years to get a running start. So, so it's a hard one victory. Yeah. It is a hard one victory and a hard fought victory. I mean, super, super interesting. Um, and another example of just like stick to and resolve, you know, ultimately ending up getting, you know, getting the right result. Heroes. Um, here, yeah, a million percent. Uh, and, and man, earlier I was sort of making the joke, or we, you and I were both sort of like spitballing what this movie would be. And uh, I think I said suffragette, and then we the jujitsu uh, or suffer jujitsu. But yeah, in 2015, there there is a movie called Suffragette, and it's the first time that the suffragist movement has really been highlighted in mainstream popular culture. Although I, I will I will say I think that uh, some of these accounts are forgetting about that scene in Mary Poppins. Not that it's like the central focus of the movie, obviously, but they, they do address it and you see them carrying their signs and stuff. But this is a, an entire film. And also I yeah. believe there's a there's graphic, a graphic novel, novel. Yes. Mm-hmm. I've read this one. Suffrage, 
cool. Suffragitsu. Yeah, it's cool. It's a trio or it's a trilogy rather. So check that out. I should be recommending more graphic novels, but, but I, I know we're going a little bit long on this one, but we hope you found this story as exciting as inspiring and as compelling as the three of us did. You will be happy to know that Edith continued to run the dojo well until she retired in 1925. Uh, she lived to the ripe old age of 99. And she even in her last year of life gave uh, one, one final interview where she talked about talked about this period uh and <laughs> and the picture on the interview is is her uh locking the journalist down getting him in a wrist locker wrist hold uh one thing this shows us is you guys we got to start going to the gym i think that's a secret to longevity we got to start going back <laughs> to the gym because i sure use the pandemic as an excuse yeah i i i i've, I've been I've been slacking off the last couple of weeks, but I did get a Planet Fitness membership. And I, you know what? I'm going to go today and I'm going to do a little circuit training um, in honor of, uh, of Edith. Uh, yeah, there's a really great like photo kind of set uh, in Health and Strength magazine, I think, um, where she's just giving the beat down to somebody. Uh, it's, it's almost cartoonish, you know, as you would say, Ben. Um, but the, uh, I believe she wrote a play that this was highlighting and it was called Jiu-Jitsu as a Husband Tamer. <laughs> it's pretty fantastic. Yep, and uh, you want to see that photo series, just Google what every woman ought to know uh, and put Edith Garrett's name in there. You will see the pictures. We hope you enjoy them. So we thought about making this a two-parter because we knew it was going to run a little long, but it feels like just one cohesive audio film to us, and we do hope you agree. Thanks, as always, so much to Mr. Max Williams, the man, the myth, of the legend. Thank you to the hardworking and incredibly courageous people of years gone by who have won these invaluable human rights uh, for people across the world today. Uh, and then, you know, just because I like him having a hard act to follow, Noel, thanks to Jonathan Strickland. You know, so... Always. Yeah. Yeah. Really starting to warm back up to that guy, you know. He's, he's sort of like a, he's sort of like that the uh, mosquito bite, you know, where it's sort of annoying, but then when you scratch it, it feels so good, you know. That's that's what Strickland. Is I've like never to scratched me. him, but I'll take your word for it. Oh, it feels good. <laughs> <laughs> but definite thanks to you. I, like like we said last episode, I think we're gonna try to get him on more of like a uh, a predictable cadence as they might say for our own mental health podcast biz for our own mental health because man when he just pops up out of nowhere i feel like i'm about to have a panic attack or like some sort of you know brain fugue ptsd Um, dude i i saw him on the street one time and i was like don't ask me questions (laughs) uh, and thanks to you Noel. this was this is one of the ones i really enjoy you know this is this is a story I think more people should know, and I'm, I'm just tremendously grateful that the three of us are able to do this every week. Same. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. 
Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways, rolling vineyards, and castled hills, into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.